Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and say thank you for joining us every week at the same time. And I trust you're being blessed by the gospel that we're sharing. We've been doing a series on the book of Hebrews. And what I love about being in the studio is that I can exhaust subjects that I would not be able to do when I'm traveling on the road. So these are powerful series that I believe are consecutive and line upon line and will help you have some understanding in the Word of God. I think the book of Hebrews is one of the most powerful uh, treaties of New Covenant truth that is out there. And uh, if you've missed any, uh, let me just encourage you to go to our YouTube page or our podcast or our RSS feed for your Android device. Uh, everything we have aired to date is on YouTube and you can watch it on demand. And uh, if you subscribe to that channel, of course, we will send you an email every time we upload uh, a new program and you'll know there's a new one up there to watch. Go to Facebook and like our public profile page. Of course, we always post it there as well. The easiest way to get to our YouTube page is simply by going to my website at lynnhiles.com. And right at the top, there are icons that will are direct links to our YouTube page, to our podcast and to our RSS feed, as well as a whole host of products that are there. And you can watch them at your leisure. Everything that we have aired to date is there for you to watch on demand. Uh, if you know someone who speaks a language other than uh, English, uh, our, uh, our, our uh, closed captioning translates in every language around the globe. And so you could uh, share them on Facebook. Help us get the gospel out. Also would like to mention very quickly that we have several books that we've written and uh, one of the first ones I want to mention is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you have uh, been afraid of the book of Revelation, you're going to be blessed by this book because it'll take the fear out for you. Uh, what this book is about is it's about the letters to the seven churches primarily. This is not an exhaustive work on Revelation. We do have that available via uh, audio files. but. Uh, this book is a book that's really uh, talking about the letters to the seven churches and what they needed to repent or literally change their mind about in order to enter into uh, a kingdom operation and walking in the new covenant. Uh, the second book that I wrote is called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And it is from Matthew 11 where uh, Jesus said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is one of the main emphasis that this ministry has, and I believe you'll be blessed by this book. And the book we just released this year is From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And what this book is about is Matthew 3. John the Baptist said, Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Again, the word repent there does not simply mean you need to get saved. It means you need to change the way you think. And what this book is about is not just what you turn from or change your mind from. So we've moved from law, but if we don't turn toward the Lord or turn toward the government of living spirit, turn toward the government of kingdom, uh, then we are going to be, and I know this is a play on words, 
but an untoward generation. And this book will bless you with understanding how the kingdom of God replaced the government of law. You'll be blessed by them. Go there and, uh, uh, and, and, and order them today. Get some for your friends. They'll be a blessing to you. They're also available um, in e-books. You can go and get them also for your Kindle, your Nook, or uh, your iPad. Let's get into the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permit. Now what we shared with you, I'm just going to review in this particular segment, is that we shared with you how that he's talking to them for five chapters, and he's talking to Hebrews. He's talking to Hebrews who are moving from an Old Covenant, Judaistic paradigm to a New Covenant, kingdom-based understanding. And he's saying to them in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews that the last days, God who in time past spoke to us in through the, and by the prophets, hath past tense, in these last days spoken to us by the Son. And we found out in the first teaching I did that the last days are not just the last days of some future age, it was the last days of the Old Covenant age. That's powerful to understand. And then he begins to talk about in the latter part of chapter 1, we are moving like a garment that is being changed. The heavens of old are passing like a garment that will be folded up and changed. And we talked about Jesus when He taught that message about you don't put a piece of new cloth in an old garment. What He's simply saying is it's not that you can't sing charismatic songs in a Presbyterian church. What he's saying is don't mix law and grace. That old garment had to literally be folded together and it had to pass away and a brand new garment of righteousness, a new robe of righteousness has been given. In chapter 2, it showed you how that Jesus is better than angels because the first covenant was given by the hand of angels but the last covenant, the new covenant, was given through the person of the Son. And that the world to come was the world that we now live in. They were living in the world that was passing off the scene. The age and the uh, ordered arrangement of things was passing off the scene. And the world to come had been put under subjection to the Son. And then he includes us in the latter part of that and talks about bringing many sons into glory. And we're a part of that ongoing new creation. In chapter 3, he admonishes them to call it today and not be like the children of Israel who missed the promised land because they couldn't call it today because they did always err in their hearts. And in chapter 3, he tells you he's better than Moses. And in chapter number 4, he tells you there's a better promised land than just a piece of real estate in the Middle East, that the promised land is not even just heaven, promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that we can, he said, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into that rest. The rest is the finished work of Jesus Christ. The latter part of chapter 4, he tells you that there's a rest that remains for the people of God and that that rest will reveal what's in your heart. And in the climate of rest, what's in your heart will become open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. But then you're going to find a faithful high priest who's touched with the feeling 
of your infirmity. So everything about this He's shown you is better. And He tells you if Joshua there in chapter 4 had given them rest, He would not have spoken of another day. So in chapter 4, He's better than Joshua. In chapter 5, He's better than Levi. He's better than Levitical priesthood. And He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And He brings you to the end of chapter 5 by concluding by saying that we ought to be exercised in the word of righteousness to realize that in the word of righteousness, if we would have been established in milk, we would understand that milk was being established in the word of righteousness. And the word of righteousness in the new covenant is the fact that you are not righteous based on your performance. You are righteous based on the work of Jesus Christ because then we come into Hebrews 6 and we find out that perfection is not a verb, but it is a noun. And we find out that perfection is based on the work of Jesus Christ. And we showed you out of Hebrews chapter 10 how that He has perfected by one sacrifice. He has perfected forever them who are sanctified. And so our perfection is not based on our performance. It is based on a sacrifice. And He tells them, let's leave the principles of the doctrine about Christ. In other words, that He's coming in the future somewhere. When I'm saying that, I'm not talking about a future coming. I'm talking about uh, to these Jews, His coming to do the redemptive work was not in their future. It was already accomplished and they should be established in the principles of the doctrine about Christ. They should already be established in their faith toward God. They should have already repented from dead works, which is old covenant performance-based religion, and they should have already been established in faith toward God. They should have moved away from the doctrines of baptisms. And when I say that, I'm not talking about water baptism, which I believe is still an ongoing reality in the New Covenant. What he's talking here about, if you read some of the Jewish Bibles, is he's talking about divers' washings and the rituals of Old Covenant divers' washings and laying on of hands being that where they laid hands on the head of the lambs to confess their sin. By now, they should have figured that Jesus Christ was that lamb. Matter of fact, I've used so many times the powerful picture of that Old Covenant and how in the New Covenant Jesus fulfilled it so we don't have to go back to that. But under the Old Covenant, if you wanted to get to God, you couldn't get to God outside of a blood sacrifice. So you would have to bring a lamb, a, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. And you would bring that to the high priest and you would lay your hands on the head of that lamb and you would confess your sin over that lamb. And when you would confess your sin, you're transferring your sin, you're laying on Him, if you will, the iniquity of us all. And you would, that would be a transfer as you would lay your hands on the head of that lamb. And then you would hand your lamb to the high priest. And then the high priest, now watch this closely, the high priest would examine the lamb. When I do this as an example of I'm in a service, I'll have three people stand up. One's a high priest, one's a sinner, and one is the lamb. And I'll have a high priest, I'll have the lamb, and I'll have the sinner. And I'll have the sinner lay his hands on the lamb, confess his sin. And then I have him step back a moment and the high priest begin to examine this lamb. Look at him from top to bottom. Just like, just like Pilate, when he examined Jesus, he said, this is innocent blood. Just like Judas himself would have to testify before the high priest and say, I have betrayed innocent blood. See, he was the spotless lamb of Calvary. But what I want you to see was, 
under the old covenant, even under the old covenant picture and type and shadow of the sin offering, the sinner was never examined. It was always the lamb that was examined. In other words, once you laid your hand on the head of the lamb, then the high priest would examine the lamb to see whether or not the lamb is spotless. If the lamb was spotless, you're accepted and your sin is forgiven you. He didn't come over and look at the sinner. See, what we do in the American church every week is we examine the sinner rather than examine the lamb. But I want, you to, I want you to watch the lamb and put your focus on the lamb because that lamb has perfected forever on the basis of his sacrifice. Forever your sin has been taken care of. And he's saying to them, don't go back to this kind of laying on of hands. I'm not opposed to laying on of hands in the presbytery in the New Testament. I believe that's all part of the new covenant. But I believe what he's talking about here is he's talking to them about moving away from this old system of, uh, of, of dead works. And he said, by now you should have been established in an understanding of the resurrection of Christ, and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, that Jesus paid for everything that this first covenant had required of you, and the judgment was fully met in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and has eternal value and benefit. And he says, once you get these things settled, we will go on if God permit. In other words, now that you've got that settled, you've got the building permit. And then he admonishes them again, once you've been enlightened, don't go back to this. Once you've tasted the good word of God, once you've tasted the power of the coming age, once you've tasted the Holy Ghost, once you've tasted of the good word of God, why would you want to go back anyway? But you see, in the understanding of these Hebrews, they're wanting to go back because they're under persecution. I mean, they're, they're suffering the spoiling of their goods. They're seeing loved ones die in the arenas. They literally are being locked up and thrown in jail. We owe a great debt of gratitude for the people who stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ and didn't back down and go back to Judaism. And he goes on to say to them, if you've tasted that and you've tasted the good word of God and you go back to this, if you fall away and you go back to Judaism, if you go back to animal sacrifice, if you go back to temple service, if you go back to all of these processions, it's impossible to renew you again to repentance and because you crucify to yourself again the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. You, you trample underfoot the blood of the covenant. You do despite to the Spirit of grace. And what you're saying is that the blood of Jesus was not enough. That's what he's talking about if you sin willfully. Even in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he said if you sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He's not saying you can't be saved. He's saying if you willfully go back to Judaism, there's not another lamb coming. There's only one sacrifice. Jesus is not going to come do this again. He's done it once and for all. And he's saying to them, if you do and you go back to this, don't. Here's the whole thing. I, I, I just hear in my spirit. Remember Lot's wife. What about Lot's wife? Well, the whole point of Lot's wife is don't go back. And one of the things, he, you know, it's amazing to me how he ties that in with Matthew 24 when he said to them, uh, remember Lot's wife. And I thought, now what is it about Lot's wife? Well, she turned back and went back to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and fire and brimstone fell and destroyed that city. Well, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking there to them, he said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you better get out of Dodge. And he starts talking about, remember Lot's wife. In other words, he said, if you go back to the system, what you don't understand is if you go back, 
This whole city is about to be burnt just like Sodom and Gomorrah was, and it came in A.D. 70 and destroyed everything about this system. God was so intent on, on dismantling this system so that they could not go back if they wanted to, that He allowed the Romans to come and literally destroy the city, the temple, the animal sacrifice, the Levitical system, so that you could not go back to Judaism if you wanted to. And that's the warning He's giving here. He's saying to this, even all of this stuff when He talks about that which bear thorns and thistles is not under burning. The word thorns, uh, or the word Sinai itself, where the law was given, is the place, the word itself means my thorns are the thorny place. So He simply said, everything that's related to this old covenant was nigh unto be burnt, to be burnt. And He tells them again, using the same wording pretty much in, in chapter 10, He said, for a certain fearful looking for a fiery indignation which shall come upon the people. He said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, of the living God. What He's saying is, when you go back to Judaism, this system is going to be dismantled. He said, our God is a consuming fire. And He's telling them, do not go back. Don't, don't, He's saying, you know, look, set your, there, there is great recompense to those of you who will not fall away, who will not walk back over the blood of Jesus and say the blood of this covenant is, the blood of Jesus is not enough. I'm telling you, there's only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved, but at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so when He comes on down through here, though, what I appreciate about Him is He says, these things are about to be burnt. They're about to melt. The elements are about to melt with the fervent heat. I've said that so many times on this program, but even the Apostle Peter talked about the elements are about to melt with the fervent heat. He was not talking about a nuclear exchange or some fallout in some distant future. He was talking about something that would happen in the first century. And the word elements there is the same word that's used in the book of Galatians where Paul says, I am afraid of you because you have gone back up under the law. Touch not, taste not, handle not. You've gone back up under the elementary things. It's the same word that's used in Colossians where he says uh, that he delivered us from the rudiments, the word rudiments there of the world, touch not, taste not, handle not, or the law and legalism. What he's simply saying there, the elements that were about to melt with the fervent heat, what was about to be burned up? What was about to be shaken? Everything that could be shaken was about to be shaken. And he's simply saying to them, don't go back. But what remains after the shaking is over is a kingdom which cannot be removed. God was going to remove everything except the kingdom that He was delivering to them that you and I now stand in and are a part of. And He goes on to say that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you, this is Hebrews 6, verse 10 and 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through patience and faith and patience inherit the promise. He's talking about don't let go of this because you're about to inherit it. Don't lose your perseverance. Don't lose your diligence and assurance and your hope. Don't forget 
while you're walking through these things and your friends and your neighbors are walking through them, God is not going to forget your labor of love and your diligence. And he goes on to reaffirm that by saying, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, he's saying to them again, Abraham had to embrace this promise. And he had a promise for a long time before he had a manifestation. And I think he's saying to these Hebrews in this great time of testing where they're being persecuted, they're being thrown out of their synagogues, they're being excommunicated, if you will, from their churches. Everybody thinks they have lost their minds. But he's saying to them, there is a promise that is up to be obtained after that you've patiently endured. And he goes on to affirm that by saying Abraham simply believed God. And while he did not back down from his faith, even though it didn't look like anything was happening, he believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. And he ultimately received the promise. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. In blessing, I'm going to bless thee. In multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. And then he reaffirms it by an oath and says to them, that with for verily uh, men swear by great uh, for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmations to them an end of strife wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things it is in which in which it is impossible for God to lie we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to hold. Upon, to hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth in that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He said what we have now is we have a promise of God, but not only do we have a promise of God, we have God swearing by Himself because there's no greater to swear by and that we have a strong consolation and an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. That is, Jesus, who has entered beyond the veil into the most holy place, into the mercy seat, and the forerunner is for us entered. It's almost like if you could see, I think of an anchor, like you could throw an anchor over a ship and it hooks to something, and then you can begin to draw it in. In other words, the confidence we have is that Jesus has already entered into the most holy place for us and has been made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what we showed you before is that if there has been a change of priesthood, there must of necessity be a change of law. And so uh, everything about this ought to be confirming to your heart. This is a better covenant. It's based on better promises. It has better blood. It has a better priesthood. It has a better tabernacle. It has better offerings. It has better promises. It's got a God who swore by Himself an oath and God will always honor His word above His name. That we can count on the promises of God and the promise uh, that was coming was a promise uh, 
of eternal inheritance. It was a promise of a rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was the promise of a city that has foundations. It's amazing to me in Hebrews 11 that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. But in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city of the living God. So in chapter 11, Abraham was looking for a city. But in chapter 12, you and I have become the city of God. We've become the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. We are the city of God that was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. Jesus didn't come just to give us more promises. He came to deliver the promises that had been made throughout the Scriptures. He was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that out of your loins would come a ruler and that out of your loins would come one who would bless all nations. That included the Gentiles. That He would make your name great. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Jesus was the fulfillment of, of, of I, I, in blessing, I will bless thee. All of the promises that God made to Abraham were fulfilled in Christ. And then the writer of Galatians gets a hold of that. And he says, he didn't make this promise to seeds as of many, but to one seed, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And if you be Christ's, talking to believers, then are you Abraham's seed. And Galatians was written not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. If you be Christ's, you belong to Him. Then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise, so that every promise God made to Abraham belongs to you as a believer. And one of those promises is, I'm going to bless them that bless you, and I'm going to curse them that curse you, and I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you coming in. I'm going to bless you going out. Listen, Jesus came to deliver the promises. What powerful promises they are. And, and so he just simply is encouraging them. Don't back down from your profession. Remain faithful. Your labor of love is not going to be forgotten. I'm persuaded better things of you, brothers, that you're not going to draw back. I want to say that as this program comes to a close and you're listening to what I'm teaching today. I am persuaded better things of you that you're not going to... I, I, I can tell you this much. Having heard the gospel of grace and the good word of God and the power of the age that we're living in, I'm not going back. You can do whatever you want to, but I'm not going back. I am not drawn back to perdition. I am believing to the saving of the soul. You've been gracious. I trust that this segment on Hebrews 6 has been a blessing to you. Let me say also very quickly, if you'd like to become a partner with this ministry, we welcome that. It is your partnership that helps us take the gospel of the grace of God and the kingdom around the world. One of the ways to do that is simply by going to our website. There is a message of the month club that you can sign up for. That is $7 a month or $70 a year. Of course, you can always give more than that if you would like. But for that $7 a month or $70 a year, you will receive a message every month of a message we preach somewhere in the world that will bless you. That your partnership with that helps us to grow the ministry to be able to pay for airtime. 
If you'd like, to, if you don't want to sign up for that, you can go to the website and become a partner and, and do a monthly debit or however you'd like to on your credit card or debit card. You can give by simply calling the number on the screen or you can uh, go on the website and do that. Uh, if you don't get an answer when the phone rings, please leave a message if you'd like a call back and someone from my staff will call you back and respond to your request. God bless you and thank you for joining us for this segment on the book of Hebrews next week, chapter 7. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.